Thank you for listening to the Moral Revolution podcast. For more content, visit moralrevolution.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. So as we pose this question um, of what role should the church have in sexuality, I think it's really important to understand kind of where we're at and what role we're perceived to have. You know, directing moral revolution, a lot of what we do is we're traveling, we're speaking, we're talking about... um, what's going on, we're, you know, our perspective, God perspective, biblical perspective on sexuality. One of the things I love to do on planes is I love to put the book that Havilah wrote out on my tray or be reading that book, um, The Naked Truth About Sexuality, because without fail, I'm asked about it every single time. <laughs> you know, people ask what that book's about. They, they ask what we do. Um, one of my favorite things to do when we're on a plane and someone says, what do you do? I say, I travel and speak about sex. Uh, people cannot believe that that's what we do. That's what I do. And, and oftentimes the, the question comes, you know, what qualifies you to do that? And that's an interesting question. And I believe that it comes from a, from a really good place. And I, I think that's a question that I don't ever push away. At the same time, it really has become the belief of our society that churches, pastors, and ministries aren't qualified to talk about sex. We're not the ones that should be navigating these topics. What do we really know about it? I think is the, the attitude that I get a lot of times. What do Christians know? What do pastors know about sex or sexuality? What input can they really give to this topic? And it's really caused me, I've, I've spun, spent quite a bit of time recently trying to dissect the answer to this. You know, you, you look at the movies, a couple of videos that have come out on Instagram and, and that I think are really powerful, liberated, um, put together by Benji Nolo. Um, the other one is The Heart of Man. Uh, the, these are, to me, really powerful, significant steps forward in what I believe to be a really critical role that we need to play um, as pastors and as church leaders. And so I want to read something um, that we're working on here at, at, with at Moral Revolution and then just start to just kind of pose some questions out there, um, really trying to address the state of sexuality, the hypersexuality that, that's at play in our culture. We're looking forward to a podcast in a couple months here um, that really highlights that. Um, but I, I just want to simply read this and then throw out some questions to our Instagram and Facebook audience that are, that are viewing right now to, to kind of put some of these things into perspective. For far too long, the church has been precluded from the cultural narratives of sexuality. Our near-fatal mistake was that for decades, our only message on the topic was, no, don't be led by evil desires. We live terrified as the world around us has spun out of control, as as pornography, casual sex, and and the introduction of media began to shape culture, we froze as we were shaped by fear and lack of understanding. The church didn't know what to say in regards to sex, so it simply said, don't. Now we're facing the consequences of our fear-based response. When we say sex is more connected, intimate, and powerful when it's experienced with only one life partner inside of marriage, we're often scoffed at as ignorant, out of touch, and uneducated teachers living in the past. We have only ourselves to blame. We removed ourselves from the conversation years ago by not allowing it to be a conversation. Perhaps much of of it was an overreaction to the famous pastors who had fallen due to lack of sexual self-control. When our national Christian leaders seemed to have no idea how to handle this area of their lives, our response seems to have been, well, what do we know then? 
Though the temptation to be defined by their failures is easy to succumb to, our children need us to be more resilient than that. Let's not forget it is our faith that defines us, not our fear. Our families and churches must violently recapture this conversation in our homes, small groups, and yes, even our pulpits. When everyone on the planet is talking about sex and the church, and the church seems to have nothing to say besides no, our silence becomes deafening. At a table of intelligent people, you can often notice quickly the ones at the table with little knowledge on the topic that's being spoken about. They're silent. And when they do speak, their statement is poorly timed and often very irrelevant to the topic, exposing how little they really know about the subject. The church must become more educated, not the least, the, or the most educated, not the least. They must be outspoken and not silent. The creator of the universe, our father, did create after all. Who better to teach it than us? And I think that's really the ultimate thing that we're that we need to navigate as the church is I think a lot of times it's been like that. I, I think we've probably all been in a situation like that where we're I know I have where I'm in a conversation it's led into a topic that I really don't know anything about, but I want to continue to engage in that conversation. And so I make a statement that's a lot of times poorly timed, or when I do make the statement, it actually doesn't have anything to do with the conversation. And, and, and by speaking, I actually just really exposed my lack of knowledge on that particular topic. Um, unfortunately, I think for, for decades now, that's where the church has been. Uh, in the 90s, we had a lot of failures in the church that were very public from very public people. And I, I think the challenge of that has been our response to that has been, well, what do we know? Those of us who lead us don't seem to have this figured out. We say God is enough. We make the statement God, being in God's presence is enough to answer that intimately, intimacy, connection, and marriage. All of those things will bring us together, and then yet we've seen significant failures of people that seem to have everything we promised would be enough. They had the marriage, they had the family, they had the successful ministry, and yet they still went down a path of sexual brokenness. And rather than realizing, hey, they're humans, and they've, they've got their own ability and propensity to go down that path, we've almost overcorrected to say, well, we don't have a voice here any longer. And I want to propose that not only does the church have a voice, but we, our culture and our society is in desperate need of us to realize that voice again. You watch the marriage trends, the pornography trends, one thing after another and the brokenness that it's created. I think our culture is desperate for a voice that speaks wholeness. And that actually doesn't just say, hey, wait till you're married to have sex, but gives a roadmap of what that wholeness looks like that fosters vulnerability in marriages so marriages can thrive again and so marriages can be strengthened again. Time Magazine, um, one of the things that Time Magazine discovered, they reported this in 2016, is that for marriages where a partner is experiencing pornography or looking at pornography or has an addiction, those marriages are twice as likely to end in divorce. And if the, if the woman is looking at pornography, those marriages are three times as likely to end in divorce. Really interesting thought because for so, I, I remember episodes of Friends in the 90s promoting 
pornography in marriage, promoting pornography, and I'm not knocking friends. I love the group of friends as much as anybody, but there's a reality that for so long we've actually promoted pornography as a great solution for sexual desire. We, we, a lot of culture has promoted that pre-marriage. A lot of people accept that within marriage. And even Time Magazine, from a non-religious standpoint, reported, um, and if, you, if you're interested in this um, article, it, you just go to Time Magazine. Uh, the, the, the title is, People More Likely to Divorce After They Start Watching Porn, Says Study. And it, it's, it's on the Time website. That you can go and grab this. But you're, we're, we're actually making this statement now. We're, we're coming to grips with the reality within the church or outside of the church that porn isn't the answer. Why is porn not the answer? Because our desire for sexuality is not just a physical thing, but it's a deep, connected, intimate desire that our soul cries out for. Something that I believe God outlined and highlighted and spoke in Corinthians when he says it's not mere flesh on flesh, but it begins to portray that it's deep connection. And in Matthew, when he says, what God brings together, let no one separate, God's showing us throughout scripture that the desires that he has for sexuality to be this deep connection. And I believe that because our creator Jesus Christ, ultimately God, Jesus helping us understand it, God creating it when he, when he created mankind, I believe that in that moment, he said, I am the, the expert on this, and I'm empowering you to be the experts. So don't walk timidly into these conversations just because everywhere you look seems to be shouting a certain message. These messages are being shouted under the pretense of lies that are not from God that come from the lies that the enemy has concocted, manipulated, and created. One of the statements my wife makes all the time, one of the statements, one of her life quotes actually would be, the lies are so familiar and therefore the truth is foreign. Or the way she says it, the truth is so foreign because the lies are so familiar. Just because we hear it most often and loudest doesn't make that truth. And so we can sit there and we can believe in the Christian church that we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, it's really not possible to wait till you're married. Is it even realistic to think that sex will get better inside of marriage and with age and with time? I want to just speak for a moment to the Christians. Believe scripture first. And I want to propose this thought that doesn't maybe seem to be connected to this conversation of sexuality, but I believe to be a prophetic promise that God gave us all the way back in Chronicles. This is when they're dedicating the temple. The dedication of the temple is taking place. This is 2 Chronicles 7. And Solomon just calls out to the Lord and says, Lord, will you just let your presence rest here? Will you be with us? Will you, will you pour your presence on us? Will you, be, will you rest here in our midst? And here's one of the promises that the Lord gives to Solomon and his people in, the, in this exact moment. This is 2 Chronicles 7.14. He says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. I think the thing we need to come back to in the church in so many different circles is asking the question to ourselves, do we truly believe that God's kingdom reigns on earth? 
that his will on earth, it's meant, he, he desires for his will to reign on earth as it does in heaven. Because if the answer to that is yes, and we believe that to the core of our belief, then that changes the way we're willing to engage on these topics. If I'm believing that the Lord designed sexuality, that he created marriage for a purpose, that he designed family by intentional design, then I have to believe that what he brings together, he never meant to separate, that sex is more than just flesh on flesh. And when I read scriptures like this, what it does is it challenges me. Because at the second part of this verse, he says, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land, which means the healing of our land, of our nations, of where we walk, where we step, where we step, where we put our feet. It is directly tied to us calling on his name, seeking his face, and turning from our own ways so that we can be the catalyst for wholeness for the cities that we live in, the communities that we live in, the regions that we live in, and the nation that we represent. The healing of that is dependent on our ability to seek him. And God said, I'm dying to, to pour it out. Literally, literally, I died to pour out healing to your nations. And so now we as Christians begin to say, okay, Lord, what does that look like? Rather than removing myself from conversations that shape culture in every area and definitely in the area of sexuality, I need to begin to insert me, myself as a representative of the kingdom. And I'm going to insert myself into tough conversations, in tough scenarios where it feels like they're writing me off and maybe I don't feel the strength and I want to write myself off. We, in that moment, I believe the Lord is calling us to step into those conversations and to deliver truth. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to anoint those conversations and that truth is going to be received as we step fully into the empowerment of who he's called us to be. The second part of this, and I want to then open it up for some interaction on Instagram and on Facebook here, is you, you switch over to 2 Chronicles 14.7. You're, you're a few generations away from Solomon now. You're with King Asa. And King Asa was, he, he had this unbelievable commitment to the ways of the Lord. One of the first things that he did when he became king is he destroyed everything that distracted and pulled things away from everybody else. He, he, he from everything else, where, wherever love or affection was given to another God, Asa destroyed that and, and really called the nation back to serving the Lord. And there's a powerful statement. You know, I'm not the numbers guy in the Bible, but that first scripture was 2 Chronicles 7.14. Now I want to read 2 Chronicles 14.7. And this is King Asa to the nation. He said, let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them. With towers, gates, and bars, the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. I believe this to be a prophetic statement for our generation that the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. I believe we'll see that. I believe we're going to see that in our lifetime where he's given us that promise, if you'll seek me, then I will give rest, and you can still claim the land to be your land. 
I don't believe anything that the church is facing right now is a lost cause. I believe the Lord is positioning significant Christians and warriors throughout the land. Throughout Warriors probably isn't the right terminology because then we can get too, um, I guess, zealous. I think more, to, more than warriors, I would say um, piv- pivotal prophetic voices that know how to steward the truth of the Lord with a very gracious, compassionate approach that causes it to be heard, listened to, and valued by other people. I believe that's what God's called us to, and as we seek him, as we, as we align our personal lives, our individual personal life, my closet times, my when nobody's looking as a Christian, as a man of God, Kolzak, when, when the areas of my life that nobody else sees are in alignment with biblical truth and I've sought him for healing, I believe the byproduct of that is going to be a land around me that is healed, that is whole, and that people are going to begin to ask me, what do you believe about sexuality? They're gonna, I'm going to sit on a plane and they're not going to scoff or, or, or be in disbelief at the fact that a Christian would talk about sex, but they're going to welcome the input. And so I want to just put this out there. Any other, anybody have questions, comments, statements, anything that you'd want to just contribute to this conversation on Instagram or Facebook? Um, I've got both pulled up here. Love to just hear your um, input. I, I think Bob Bevins has joined us, one of our um, social media writers. Bob, love to hear your input on this. You've been in ministry and family for a long time, um, an amazing pastor. Um, so yeah, anybody have any statements you'd like to contribute? Um, I can just sit awkwardly. I have no problem doing that. So let's just sit awkwardly until somebody throws out a statement. Nothing so far. Of all the people that are allegedly watching according to the analytics, nobody has anything to say. Let me ask this. Um, what do you believe to be the role of the Christian church in regards to sexuality? Or, or I guess maybe even more specific, let's not say that. What can the church do better in the area of sexuality? Hmm. Okay, that's a great question. Why do we think pornography has such a detrimental impact, especially on women? Well, I think that what pornography does is it, you know, a lot of people have talked about the, it creates variety, it creates an unrealistic view of sex, it, it, it depicts sexual experiences that, that aren't able to, like, aren't sustainable, and I think all of that's true. I personally believe the number one damaging thing that pornography does is it takes an act, which is make lovemaking, sex, that's meant to be deeply connected, a binding, not just of body, but of soul and spirit, and it, it shrinks it down to just being a physical response. So when somebody's experienced a decade of just a an orgasm because of an image on a screen or a video, and now they're supposed to flip a switch and have a deeply intimate, connected experience in marriage. It literally has caused their mind to the, the early, the, the most often and earliest ways they experienced that orgasm or that sexual moment was through this disconnected TV moment or phone moment. What it does is it then strips our ability to be intimate. How am I going to have experienced sexuality for a decade without intimacy and now all of a sudden on my wedding night have it flip the switch and now it's intimate? I think the number one thing pornography robs us of is our ability to experience sex through an intimate narrative.
Oh, what a great question. I think it's Curleen Jean. From a Christian perspective, what does humility look like in the lifestyle of a Christian? Um, man, that, that's probably one of the most important things that we need to do. I think it's, and, and, and so everything, I, I'm very passionate and riled up right now. <laughs> so you have to take what I'm saying with a grain of salt because the way that I interact with people outside of the church is from a very humble standpoint. Um, I'm not on a soapbox demanding that everybody hear me. Um, and I don't believe Christians should operate that way. I think we need to walk in very confidently willing to answer every question given to us. But I think that clothed in humility is such an important part of our approach. Uh, whenever I'm engaging with people that, that don't believe like I believe, uh, it's very critical for me to hear them out and to engage and to, to consider where they're coming from and why they're coming from that way. And I think also understand that we may not get to a place of total resolution in one conversation. One of the things I think a lot of Christians made the mistake of early on is that we wanted to focus so much on the instant salvation. Um, I think that the Lord is very patient with our process, and he's also patient, patient with the process of others. So I just encourage all of us to, rather than try to have a, a finish line to any conversation. What if we just simply were willing to walk out revelation with people? Man, I love it when God brings instant revelation, but there's also something profound with revelation being delivered through a relationship over a period of time. And perhaps God wants to use you to bring revelation that takes place over a season, not just in an instant. And that that revelation that's given to somebody through walking out life with them can be a powerful revelation that causes them to really be rooted in that belief because it's taken such a, such a process for them to come to that. And so just to encourage you with that, I think that's a, 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 really important, um, a really important avenue that we need to walk down and be okay with, be okay with as Christians. Um, let's do one more. Oh, man, uh, Princess, Princess A. Jaga. I don't know if I said that right. Um, but how do you stop disconnecting with God? Man, that is such a great question. Um, and hopefully I'll figure that out before this side of heaven. Uh, I think for me, probably the, the number one thing that disconnects me from the Lord is really just becoming too overwhelmed with stress. The, the, the more I allow my mind to run with, with the things I need to do or the things I haven't done right or the things I think I failed at, um, the more disconnected I feel. I think that part of being connected to the Lord is allowing our minds, our hearts, our spirits to just rest and be content resting in his presence rather than constantly having to accomplish something. Um, a couple weeks ago, we were in our service here up here at Bethel. It was a Sunday morning, and I just really felt the Holy Spirit speaking, to, like, like coming over me. And um, one of our pastors in front of me, her name is Libby Gordon, had just turned around and saw the Holy Spirit was starting to rest on me and laid her hands on me, and I just fell back and was just down. <laughs> and... Instantly, my response was, all right, Lord, why, what are you going to do with this? Why are you here? What are you trying to show me right now? And I felt the Holy Spirit speak so clearly. I'm just here because you've been asking for more of me. Why does there always have to be a goal or an outcome to every moment? And it's such a profound moment for me because I think that as Christians, some, we, we always want to have a goal. And I wonder if sometimes the goal is just being in the presence of God and removing all of the stress and the anxiety of everything else and learning to just rest in that. Um, so I think that's it for me. Staying connected 
um, in that way, staying connected through that avenue of saying, you know what, sometimes I'm just going to come to God to be with dad, not for any other purpose, and that God actually really loves that. Thank you for listening to the Moral Revolution podcast. For more content, visit moralrevolution.com and follow us on social media, pursuing God's design for sexuality.